Are you ready to take your communication, public speaking and leadership skills to the next level? If so, I'm really excited to let you know that doors to the C-Method Academy open on the 19th of Feb. The Academy is my monthly members-only training and accountability program. This is an amazing opportunity to get access to live Q&A calls with myself, accountability and support from the community, and exclusive content through the online masterclasses. Join the waitlist now and get access to early bird discounts at thecmethod.com slash join. That's thecmethod.com slash join. Hi there, Rockstar, and welcome to Stand Out, Get Noticed. I'm Christina Cantors, your host here with you for episode 247. I'm a speaker, a coach, and founder of The C Method, where I help high-performing professionals to build powerful communication skills. You would have heard me talk about the C Method Academy doors that are opening very, very soon, which I'm really excited about two weeks from now. So make sure you jump on that wait list if taking your communication to the next level is something you are committed to doing. All right, let's dive into this week's episode. And we're switching gears from the last two weeks, which were all about my experience on the 10-day Vipassana silent meditation course. This week, we're talking to someone who communicates for a living. He's award-winning auctioneer, Andy Reid, whose job, in his own words, is to shout at people until they give him money. But there is a lot more to the craft of auctioneering than simply just shouting at people. Auctioneering is a very, very public form of public speaking, right? And Andy has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to being confident and effective as a speaker. He's been obsessed with auctioneering since 2012, and he works in over 100 suburbs across Melbourne. Andy and I met through a networking event, and I was immediately drawn to his energy and his openness. We had some really great conversations, and I thought, you know what, let's get him on the podcast. So we sat down and had a chat about why Andy made the switch to auctioneer from from real estate agent. We talk about why it's important to make it about your audience and not you. We, um, or Andy shares his tips for reducing nerves and getting pumped up before a presentation and also how to read the crowd and your audience's body language. So you don't have to be an aspiring auctioneer to get value from this episode. This is for you if you want to be able to inspire people to take action when you speak. Because if you think about it, that's what auctioneering is all about, right? Getting people to take action and bid and put a lot of money on the line as a result of you speaking. So get ready to take notes because what Andy is about to share with you is absolute gold. He is a true professional. So you ready? Let's do it. Let's meet Andy Reid. So Andy, you are an auctioneer. I am. I've never had an auctioneer on the podcast before. Right. Mm. Bless you. When you tell people that you're an auctioneer, what is the response that you normally get? It's kind of weird because when I was a real estate agent, um, whenever anybody asks you what you do for a living and then you tell them that you're a real estate agent, the reaction is horrible. (laughs) It is disgusting. And I hated doing it. So my wife actually says, look, Andy left real estate because he just hated how people perceived him when he told them he was a real estate agent. So when... I finally, when I started doing auctioneering, I actually thought, you know what, 
I'm just going to tell people I'm an auctioneer. And once I started doing that, everyone starts having a much more positive reaction because although auctioneering is predominantly focused around real estate in this country, um, it's, it's, it's seen in the public's eye as a completely different craft. Yet it's kind of weird because within the industry, it's not seen as much as a different as a different craft entirely mm-hmm. from being a real estate agent. That's one of the big mistakes that is made within the industry. But to the public, whenever I tell people I'm an auctioneer, they go, wow, that's amazing. And I try and dumb it down a little bit because I'm quite a humble guy and I, and I don't like to make anything make anything greater of it than what it is so I my line to everybody is look I just shout at people until they give me money (laughs) that's literally my job is to shout at people how good's that yeah so yeah so when I get when I tell when people get that you know find out I'm an auctioneer they sometimes depending if they've had a couple of beers they'll try and get me to auction off a beer mat or something like that (laughs) so I've had a few auctions in the middle of bars and stuff where I'm auctioning off a pint half pint of lager or something because one of my drunk mates decided to have a go at me about something so it's all good it's all awesome and you do I know you do auctions for charity events as well yeah so I I've got a philosophy from a cultural point of view in that if we as professionals were to donate three to five percent of our time and utilize our skill sets to benefit nonprofits and charities and community groups and what have you then the world would be a better place for free and that's a fact i mean when you equate three to five percent of your time it literally translates into two episodes of love island or uh two episodes of the bachelor or something equally as useless that we all tend to binge on um, so if we were to take that bit of time and just go and help people with what it is that we're good at a lot of people don't understand that with community groups and charities and i know we're already digressing but with those sorts of groups money is great but the skill sets that we have as professionals are worth so much more money so i have a number of organizations asking us to sponsor them and my general reaction is look i won't sponsor you with money but how about i bring bring value with what it is that i do and I, I am not made of money. I could not give people the money that I make for them when I'm doing a charity auction. So, for example, I was doing a charity auction on behalf of the REIV a few weeks ago at Crown. And they were hopefully sort of expecting around about that sort of six to $9,000 mark for three pieces of art. And we ended up going just over 20 grand. Now, I could not donate 10 grand to any charity you know so but the fact that I'm not too bad at what I do means that I can provide that level of value and that's where a lot of people need to professionals need to sort of take their mindsets out of out of the old school way of uh, sponsorship and actually lend their skills to people because all it takes for me is 20 minutes of my time half an hour of my time and I've made a charity 20 grand like it's it's it's, it's pretty cool yeah. yeah you get to have fun while you're doing it exactly literally all i'm doing is shouting at drunk people it's, <laughs> it's, it's fabulous do the drunk people spend more oh uh, it's it's hilarious when they don't know what they've bought <laughs> there was one charity auction i'll never forget it was a charity auction for a, a children's cancer charity the, the the nick tims foundation and there was a guy tattered up to the nines couldn't look more 
manly if he tried and he didn't realize he thought he was bidding on a golf club what he was actually bidding on was a girl's kids cubby house for four-year-olds <laughs> or something and when he comes walking up to us and he's like all oh, happy because he's won and he's pumping his chest out and all that and I just turned his face I physically turned his yeah. face to see what he'd won he he gave me the odd profanity and then burst out laughing and went, oh, geez, at least it's for a good cause then, eh? <laughs> so he ended up donating it back to the charity oh, okay, to do sure. it again. So, sure. you know, that's hilarious when people do that. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> so what made you want to get into auctioneering? My father-in-law, in a word. Uh, so I, the reason why I got into real estate in the first place is because uh, as I'm sure you can tell from my accent, I'm not from around here, uh, from the middle of England. And when I moved over, it was because my now wife is Australian. Her father was a franchisee of a real estate franchise in the outer southeastern suburbs. And he, it was my dinner, com my interview was a dinner conversation where he turned around to me and said, and I think you'd be good at real estate in 2010. So I said, okay, fine, if I'll, I'll do it. But if I'm rubbish, bin me and I won't think any less of you. And then in 2012, I came back from a holiday and I was still jet lagged. And I think that's why he dumped it on me, to be honest, because he knew I wasn't completely with it. And he said... Like uh, a drunk guy at the auction. Oh, a little, a little bit. <laughs> and he said to me, he said to me down the corridor, he goes, uh, Reedy, I've booked you an auction. And I thought he was talking about me running the campaign, taking buyers through, so on and so forth. And he's looking at me gone out. And he goes, you don't get it, do you? And I went, well, clearly not. Why? What are you going on about? And he said... Um, you're calling the auction reading. And I went, oh, yeah, <laughs> words of four letters and one syllable. And, and so I had two weeks notice. My training ground was the paddock next to the Cranbourne race course because out there no one can hear you scream. <laughs> and uh, after two weeks of just giving it a crack, because I, I was always into public speaking and representing people and, and things like that back in the day hide my light under a bushel I've acted at the end of a fringe festival and, and, I, and I, yeah and I've been on stage and stuff like that a thespian. god no <laughs> god no I think right. it's probably just because I'm I was I've always been loud like people can always hear where I am they don't need to see me to be able to know where I am most of the time and I th and from that I just grew and uh, just a comfort in front of people I think it came from my mum so my mum worked in the police force and for a long time when I was younger she used to represent uh, charity organizations in her spare time and, and represent the police force to schools and schools liaison officers and, and things like that so from a very very young age I was used to watching her do public speaking and 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 bringing value through what it is that she was saying to people and I guess that sort of set the tone for me to be honest um so yeah and then when my father-in-law dumped me in that and what was your immediate thought process leaning up to that auction my and it's kind of been concurrent through the rest of my career since this since that first one that the last person I thought about was myself now a lot of auctioneers and I say a lot of auctioneers, that's that's probably a bit harsh, but a lot of the perception around auctioneers is that they do it for ego. And so for a lot of people, they do. I mean, I came from a vendor meeting just before we started this and he was saying that he went and bought an auction, uh, bought at auction. But during the auction, one, one thing that the auctioneer said was trying to get people to sort of comment on how good he looked in his suit. And that's a bit rubbish. Yeah. But... For me, 
the only thing I, I was more nervous about the outcome for the vendors and making sure that I did the right thing by them and the right thing by the buyers and that legislation was adhered to and stuff. And the last person that I was worried about was myself. I don't care whether people laugh at me, whatever the case may be, as long as the as long as I do the right thing by the people that are entrusting us with their biggest asset. It's a pretty big responsibility. So yes. if you're thinking about yourself still, that's not ideal. You you really you really not you really don't have the right focus. And it's and it's something that for me now I can see it's very obvious which auctioneers uh, of the right mindset thinking about the vendors and which ones are out there because you know it's either what they have to do or they're the director of the firm they don't really have any passion for auctioneering but they're representing their firm and they're trying to you know mm. big up their firm which is you know part of business I guess but the auctioneering in itself like I said I literally see myself as the least important person even though I'm the focal point so it's the same with it it's the same when I'm doing anything when I'm representing if I'm doing an MC gig and you will resonate with this for sure when I'm uh, an MC at a charity event or a school function or whatever the case may be I'm there to represent that organization not there to represent myself I'm not. I never am, and 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 it and the ethos sort of flows through all my businesses now. So all my businesses, like I'm a flog, read. Um, <laughs> um, in that, it's my job to make other people look good. Yeah, I'm totally cool being away from the spotlight. I am totally cool being away from the spotlight. I hate the spotlight, which is a bit of a contradiction. Yeah, because you're. I mean, you're right. It seems very much so that you are the focus when you are auctioneering like everyone's looking at you but then at the same time it just came because I was at an auction recently yes because Aaron and I recently bought a place (laughs) which was very exciting um thank you I was thinking about me the Mm. whole time as someone who was bidding I'm sitting there allowed to well yeah but like I'm not thinking about the auctioneer like I'm not standing there looking at the auctioneer going oh I don't like his shoes or I think he's talking too loud Mm. like that didn't even go through my mind. I'm thinking, is anyone, is anyone else going to bid? Are we going to secure this property? Have we just made a b- massive mistake? Have we just made the best decision ever? Mm. You know, that that's what was going through my mind. And and you're absolutely right to think that because when it comes to vendors and buyers in that transaction, this is a significant day in their entire lives. We're not, we're not talking about pocket change in any way, shape or form. We're talking about significant transactions that people might only ever do once in their lives. So we've got to treat it like that. Mm. Um, it's kind of like uh, when uh, someone, when an actor or an actress goes onto, onto the boards at Broadway, for example, they might do things a million times. They might do the same play three times a day for six months. But to the consumer, that person in the audience, it might be the only ever time that they go to a Broadway show. They might have spent their entire life saving money to go to New York to go to a Broadway show because that's been on their bucket list. That's pretty significant when you look at it from the opposite direction. So that's what that's what makes it very, very easy for me to put myself at the back of the queue in terms of importance because for me, I will go and rock and roll the next auction. So I'm, you know, I'm having doing my thing and enjoying what I do and, and whatnot. But for each auction, I have to treat it as potentially my last auction because 
for the people that I'm helping, it could be their last auction ever. Like, then that's pretty big. So um, that's that's it. Just makes it easy for me to um, to have a deg- have that degree of empathy in knowing that I have no right to take any of the shine off what is a significant moment in your life. So when you were the buyer, this is a big moment for you. It's your first home. Yeah, you're only going to do that once. And you're and I love that you think about the bigger picture. You know, like you're thinking, mm. hey, I'm, I'm not just here shouting at people, even though that's essentially what it is, right? You've got the bigger picture um, in your mind going, this is a significant day for th- these people. This is changing someone's life right here. Yep. You know, and I think a lot of people like bringing it back to, you know, people in the workplace who are required to speak in public or run meetings, mm. you know, oftentimes people make it about themselves and they get really focused on the tiny details and they think, oh, I've got to do this perfect and this perfect without thinking about, well, what bigger picture impact does this presentation have? You know, what are we overall as a team working together or as a company working together that this presentation forms a part of? Absolutely, man. And, and- the thing that causes nerves, in my humble opinion, the thing that causes nerves is the fact that the focus is not on the right thing. It's just not. So a lot of the time, um, if we're to talk about sort of superficial nerves, so a lot of the time th- there will be a nervousness around how do I look? Is my hair right? Is my uh, make is my suit covering my belly or whatever the case may be, right? So because that is the immediate judgment that people pass on people is is how do they look on stage or whatever, um, and that's for males and females, yeah. So that's the first bit of nerves that that people need to sort of get away from as best as they can, and 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 the thing is when it comes to presenting or when it comes to doing an auction, I always say that the first auction that I'm not nervous for is the one I'll screw up. So in a way, nerves are a positive, well, in the in a massive way, nerves are a positive thing for so me. So you still get nervous? Every time. Yeah. Every time. Because I'll, I'll never lose sight of how important it is for the people that I'm working with. And that's not even the vendor, that's not just the vendor and the buyer, that's the agent as well, because I'm a freelance auctioneer. I'm carrying the reputation of that agent on my back, plus their commission, so that's their income. So I'm carrying their reputation, their health and well-being, their financial freedom, plus the vendors, plus the buyers, and plus the general public because they want to either see a show or they want to be educated by the process. So if you're not nervous about that, you're not in the right job. So what do you do to channel that nervous energy into something positive? Oh, for me, it's <laughs> for me, it's my body's way of telling me that I'm about to rock and roll. Okay. Like that's my thing. Like I always, whenever I, I don't know why I started it, it now has percolated through to me leaving the house where my daughter, who's five, uh, says, "Right, Daddy, let's rock, let's rock and roll," Aww, because that's, that's awesome. us leaving the house, going away to go do something, even if it's just go to the shops. So do you like? Um, are you like head banging as you leave the house? No, it's just my way of, <laughs> of sort of zoning in. Because I know you do videos. I've I've seen videos of you in your car head banging oh. and rocking out. <laughs> is that is that part of your like, um, leader? It's something that yeah. So when I'm getting myself ready for a, for for an auction, or generally that's for the first auction, um, I need to get my my mind and my body focused. So those nerves are my body's way of telling me that I'm zoning in. Okay, that I'm that I'm becoming laser focused because the cool thing is, and this this came from when I was younger. Uh, my old rugby coach, when I was seventeen, 
I was going through a bit of a tough time. Uh, Dad had cancer at the time, and 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 I was really struggling with it. And my rugby coach Tony Rolt, who to this day will remain one of the most influential figures in my life, he took me to one side and said, "You know, Reedy, I know you're struggling, and I can't fix that for you." But what I can say is for the next 80 minutes, when you walk over that white line, you can't do anything to affect anything else that's going on in your life. You can't help your dad. You can't help your studies. All you can do is play rugby. So that's all you need to worry about just for those 80 minutes. And and I've transposed that into almost anything else that I do. So when I do an auction, um, nothing else matters. For that 20 minutes or 25 minutes or however long it takes, literally nothing else matters. And and for me, I kind of feel like as an auctioneer, you need that focus because of the significance of the transaction. And the nerves mean to me that I am about to just get into that mode where everything's just going to, like I say, it's just going to go rock and roll. And I even say it as I'm, I, like, and I was doing it by accident until an agent said to me, Andy, let's go rock and roll. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that sounded really weird, but let's do it. Um, because I didn't realize that it was a subconscious thing for me. Uh, and, but as soon as I cross that threshold, nothing else matters. And I know, for, so for example, if I'm driving up towards a property and I can't feel those butterflies in my tummy, it means I need to focus more. It means that I'm not I'm not entirely mind on the job, and I need to zone in very like. But as soon as I realise that that self awareness of, of understanding where my body's at with that, it makes it very easy to then fire into gear. Um, that's for me probably one of the biggest things is self awareness. Uh, it's different from being self conscious, but self awareness is to your own emotions and how how they're cycling through you and then uh, and then being being aware of that so you could then act accordingly so when i know that that adrenaline's kicking into gear i take it you'll see me on pretty much any auction video now um i will take you'll see me take a deep breath have a big smile on my face and then go and that's it and that's when, I, when i'm tr- trying to coach the auctioneers the first thing i say to them guys before you go deep breath and smile and it's just weird. You just you, you then even if you're having the worst day, the fact that you're taking a deep breath, seeing what's in front of you, and having a, putting a big smile on your face, it creates a bit of an endorphin rush, which allows you to be in a different frame of mind. So when you're public speaking, or if you've got a really really crucial, not a very nice speech to say to your team or whatever the case may be if it's if it's not good news yeah you don't want to go out there smiling like a clown because that's probably not ideal but taking a deep breath and and just gathering yourself just for a tiny second creates that bit of endorphin a bit of an endorphin rush that just lets your brain just zone in just in that one thing just temporarily it's not going to take away the world's your world troubles your first world troubles or your real life troubles or whatever we've all got problems but for that 20 minutes you're going to be fine. We caught up the other week and you were telling me how you're really good at reading people. Yeah. No pun intended, Andy, read. <laughs> read. <You're> re- <laughs> Which is something that you use when you're auctioning. Yep. Can you tell me, you know, what what do you look for and how does that affect your um, ability to be a great auctioneer? I think the general rule of thumb is I think it's 93% of your communication is done through everything except what is said. 
right? So, and this is where I found it fascinating, your your ability to translate a lot of that communication through a podcast. And I found that incredibly fascinating that you've only got that one sense of mm. sound. So to be able to, to be able to put across emotions and all that sort of stuff, it, it takes a serious effort. So for when, when I'm out there in the crowd, generally speaking, and I'm not at the end of the day, buyers, vendors, agents they're entitled to keep things close to their chest they're entitled to lie to me and what have you of course you at the end of the day anyone that does anything they're only doing it because they feel it's the right thing to do for themselves well, i'm not going to begrudge that no. in any Everyone's way going what's in it for me 100 percent if I'm a buyer, if I'm a buyer, I'm not going to, I'm not just going to stand there and tell the auctioneer, okay, well, my budget's 1.5 million. Yeah. As if I'm going to say that, <laughs> I'm going to say I'm out at 1.3. Yeah. And they're entitled to do that. That's part of the game, shall we say. All right. Although I, I say that loosely because of the seriousness of the transaction. Reading people is something that, again, I got brought up with because, I mean, my mum and my dad were both in the police force. So they had to their job was to read what was actually going on, not what was being said. That was their job. Does, so, that, does that mean you got away with nothing as a child? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Literally. It wasn't me. It was the cat. Oh, there was no <laughs> chance. No chance whatsoever of me getting away with anything. That's what I mean. Look, and, and it's and look. I'm I'm grateful because now I I'm just a crap liar. I'm such a bad liar, and my wife loves it because she can <laughs> read me so easily. I'm the easiest person to read in the world. Um, but when it comes to when it comes to me doing an auction, not the capability to be able to feel through body language and without trying to be too airy-fairy, trying to feel people's auras as well is really important, both as a collective and as from an individual point of view. I need to feel an energy that's coming from a crowd or from a buying population. If they're, if they're excited, I can feel it. I can feel that tension building and I know something's about to pop. But if it's all a little bit laissez-faire and people's body movements are a little bit more fluid and they're not as uh, jagged or they're not as energetic with a nervous energy, you can feel that they're a bit more passive about the outcome, which kind of means to me that they're not too fussed if it sells or not. They're kind of interested, but they are happy to either let it go or play the game afterwards uh, if it passes in. So that's where they're there is to just see if it passes in and then they're going to give it a crack with a low ball offer to try and see if they can get it after the event. So just to clarify you can tell if someone's like a bit tense, mm. like on edge. Mm. And what what does that what does that look like? So, fid being fidgety is one big thing. Uh, so, being fidgety, clinging uh, one thing that I try and get auctioneers to stop doing is clinging hold of a brochure, and you can almost feel like they're trying to play it really, really cool. And then I look, I look literally a foot and a half down, and I can see their white knuckles grasping <laughs> a brochure like yeah. they're clinging onto it for dear life. So things like that are uh, easy, easy giveaways. Um, generally speaking, a lot of people, when they're in that sort of environment, if they are nervous about things, it can exacerbate any reaction that they have. It can amplify it. So, for example... I was at one in Noble Park and it was a, it was coming down to the last two bidders and it was young couple versus older 
a little bit more a little bit more sort of rough around the edges uh, investor who had an agent that was helping them buy as well so the agent was playing it very very cool uh, in a nice way so I'll you know give her credit where it's due she wasn't she wasn't being uh, facetious or anything like that for the sake of it but the younger couple I could tell that they were incredibly nervous because every decision took a little bit longer and then when a couple just looks at each other and says nothing it says that they are reaching their limit but they don't want to stop and the nervousness that comes from that because they're both looking at each other saying can you make a decision for me please um, and and that in itself was a bit of a giveaway is a bit of a giveaway for me now with that young couple fr- when we got past what that what must have been their original end game the nervousness just dissipated completely and it turned into dejection but it was but it was so obvious because their energy with how they were going about communicating with each other they were leaning on each other like they were exhausted it was just obvious that they just felt that they'd lost so i then do things like create positive distractions and things like that so that we can try and give them that confidence to give it one last crack and what oh, really? have you. So what would you say in that situation? Well, that actually, that specific scenario, I had a little girl, she was about, I think she was about seven years old or something called Tiffany, that was stood just to the right of me for the, pretty much the entire auction. And I can't even remember what I said. Oh, I think I said an Al Pacino line or something, right? You got to fight for every inch, that any given Sunday thing. And... I looked down, I just looked down as I said it and I saw Tiffany and I went, isn't that right? And she nodded and she played with me and I went, what's your name? Tiffany. Uh, hi, hi, nice to meet you. Hold, hold on a second, hold this for a second. And I gave her my gavel. Okay. And then I went to go check in with the buyer and there was still, I could still feel their energy wasn't right. So I then said, what's your name again? Tiffany. Hey, I'm Andy. Nice to meet you. And then I, then I went back to see them. Still nothing happening. So I went back. I said, right. You're my helper now. All right. Don't you go anywhere with that gavel. I need you. And, and then I introduced everybody to Tiffany. Here's my assistant, Tiffany, and all that sort of stuff. And it created a level of engagement that was acceptable, not just for the underbidders, because they can understandably get frustrated if I'm dragging things out. But for the onlookers as well and them, I'm just creating a level of engagement via that interaction that creates a positive distraction that allows the underbidders or the people that are struggling to get back into the game. So it allows them a bit of time to talk and relax a little bit. And just gather their thoughts, you know. So, um, and and I've done it when I've been uh, MC at stuff. You know, when you, you have that, if you're trying to do a presentation, you have like a bit of an awkward silence. If you can create a a solid eye contact with someone, it means that they're probably, possibly, gonna want to, gonna be happy to interact with you further if that engagement from an eye contact point of view is there. So, like I said, with that little girl Tiffany, she gave me a bit of an eye contact, gave me a smile, and gave me a big nod. And she agreed with me. She didn't know what she was agreeing with, obviously, (laughs) but she agreed with me anyway. So then I thought, right, well, she's cool, she's on. And then we and then we had a bit of a play, um, and it was cool for the parents. Parents got involved. She slammed the hammer down on the paperwork, and it was all really really cool. Wait, question: Did the young couple jump back in? They bought it. <gasps> they bought it, so it worked. So they came back in. They came back and in. were the highest bidders. Yeah, and not. Well, I mean, look, it, I think the numbers were. I think we were hovering in the very very late sevens, and. 
generally speaking, when it comes to like uh, from an auction point of view, when you get to a significant point, like when you go to the next hundred thousand dollars, you go seven to eight hundred grand or nine hundred grand to a mill or whatever. There's generally a, a, a quite a nervous point there uh, because no one wants to be the person that cracks it over that significant right. point. And it was getting towards that late seven mark, and it was like seven ninety one or something like that. And and because of that positive distraction. They came in with another thousand and the ball started rolling again ever so slowly. And I think it ended up selling for 822. Wow. So it's sometimes you've got to know when to take the pressure off mm. and to put it back on. Um, and I, like that, a lot of that, like I said, it comes down to a self-awareness as well. It's really important to be aware of uh, what you're, you know, the pressure that you're trying to impose on people, the messages that you're trying to get across, and then when to turn the pressure valve on and off. It's really important, particularly in an auction scenario, but in any sort of public speaking. If you want to hammer a key point home, that's where you've got to almost have a bit of a crescendo in attention. And that's the same with an auctioneer. You know, we need to create crescendos of attention. And and, and oh, that's a line. I think that's a phrase I've just come up with. It's really cool. We're going to tweet that one later. Oh, hashtag sure. crescendo of crescendo attention. Crescendo of attention. <laughs> wow. Hey, geez, I impressed myself there. So if you, can, if, if you can understand and be aware of when you need to create those peaks, then the power that you have is way beyond any script or dialogue or PowerPoint presentation or anything like that. It's, it's incredible. Well, Andy, look, it's been so awesome having you on the show. Um, if people have a property that they want auctioned off mm-hmm. and they want to connect with you, where can they find you? Apparently, I'm one of the easier guys in real estate to find. I'm on every medium, so Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. My website soulbuygroup.com.au and you can just go to forward slash auctions on there or send it through a contact form. I generally tend to work so agents will hire me, but I do have vendors that will ask me to come and work for them and vendor advocates as well because they're having that, in, that voice of independence. I can bring a subjective voice to the whole transaction and making sure that because everyone else has got an, emo, an emotionally vested interest in it, whether it is the commission, whether it is the ego, whether it is the, the property or whatever the case may be. So I can look at things a bit more subjectively, which has helped a lot of people get the right result. And not forgetting the awesome accent. Yeah. (laughs) Well, You can't can't discount that, especially if you're in Australia. Oh, big time. If you've got an accent that's not Australian, that's always going to stand out. Oh, big time. Everyone, whenever I was in real estate, people come into the office asking for the tall pommy guy or the tall (laughs) English guy or whatever. And I took it because it was my USP. It was my unique selling point. There's your personal brand all wrapped up, ready and done. Big time. Thanks again, Andy. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. A huge thanks to Andy Reid from Sold By Group for being such a wonderful guest on the show this week. I just loved all the stories that he shared and his own story is very inspiring too. You can find out more about what he does at soldbygroup.com.au. I'll also pop links to that uh, to the show notes in the description of this podcast in your app. 
Before I leave you, remember to sign up for the C-Method Academy waitlist if you haven't yet already. And if taking your communication and leadership skills to the next level is something that you are committed to. We already have a thriving community in our Slack channel and it's so wonderful to see so many people posting their wins and sharing their challenges and asking for help from the group. And I'm really looking forward to opening up the doors again so that we can have more of you join the community. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me today, Rockstar. Keep on being awesome. My name's Christina Cantors, and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. <laughs>